The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. everybody to a very special episode of serious fun i am as always your host brian carr uh and we are talking today about uh a film that has really gone past just being neat and straight on into cultural phenomenon that is of course the new marvel studios release black panther the world is changing soon there will only be the conqueror and the conquerors you are a good man. Step into the spotlight. It's a good heart. And it's hard for a good man to be a king. With me today to talk about this and take our journey into Wakanda, two people who I know were very, very excited about this, jumped at the chance, in fact, when I when I floated it past them. Uh, of course, we have here making his return to serious fun. Our, uh, like Essentially, every time we talk about Marvel, you're here. Uh, this is, of course, Chair of Psychology at University of Wisconsin-Green Bay, Dr. Ryan Martin. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Super excited to talk about this movie. And also joining us, uh, someone who's very near and dear to my heart, the Gaylord Family Professor at the Gaylord College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Oklahoma, um, a, uh, someone who has done a lot of research and discussion about uh, race, gender, and representation in the media, as well as my mentor, one of my closest friends, uh, Dr. Maida Karstarfin. How are you? I'm great. Hi, Brian. It's hey. great to be here. So, uh, well, let's let's uh, we got a lot to cover here. Um, relatively short time frame to do it. So uh, let's kind of set things up by talking money because you know money makes the world go round. I think, as as the, as the song <laughs> said, Black Panther uh, opened uh, as of this recording last Friday, and uh, it has made all of the money. Uh, we are sitting at about two hundred and sixty million dollars in the U.S. alone. Just before we started recording, I saw that we are now breaking $500 million worldwide. It is on track to just, it's doing very well. Let's just leave it at that. Um, we'll probably hit like $400 million domestic by Sunday or so. Could make a run at beating the Avengers as the highest grossing domestic Marvel Cinematic Universe film by the end of its run. Uh, this feels like it came out of nowhere, but there's a lot of reason to argue that it didn't. I'm going to start off, though, by asking you guys uh, what your general reaction was. And uh, Dr. Kristarfin, last time we talked, you signed off with Wakanda forever. So I'm going to guess you were pretty, you're pretty enthusiastic about it. What was your reaction? Oh, I was absolutely thrilled, awed, um, just giddy at seeing the movie. Can I tell you both that and, and to everyone out there listening, I have had the trailers bookmarked on my office computer for months waiting for the film. So I can tell you, uh, when I finally got there and saw it for my first time, mm -hmm. uh, I was completely, completely uh, taken in. It doesn't mean it's a perfect film, doesn't mean that there aren't some uh, complexities that we can talk about, but it absolutely was a wonderful experience. 
And uh, Ryan, what was your thoughts? I, the same. I loved it. Um, and I loved it in ways I didn't expect to love it. Um, I, I, and what I mean by that is not, I've been excited about this movie since they announced the casting, which is probably about two years ago, but um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't expect to, I didn't expect it to have such an interesting, thoughtful plot. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a great action movie about a great, superhero and um instead it was this this fascinating plot that really it it combined some sort of traditional elements with some really interesting social justice issues Mm -hmm. both globally and here in the united states and it just it's made me think like very few movies have made me think before as far as what it all meant it is kind of interesting that you go in expecting a a good superhero action movie and you walk out debating like the nature of black liberation i feel like that's a really uh, kind of interesting thing that uh, I frankly was not expecting. There are lines and events that happen in this movie. I was surprised Disney went there. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm, I'm glad they did. Uh, and, and there's a couple of them we'll talk about later, so I don't want to spoil them yet. But um, if you've watched the movie, uh, you are going to be able to kind of pick out what I'm talking about before I even get there. If you haven't watched it, this is your last chance. We will be ruining the entire movie. This is a, uh, we, are, we are talking freely. We don't, uh, like, you know, this is not a place to go if you are thinking, well, I'm on the fence, but I just kind of want to get a feel for it. We're going to tell you everything about this movie. Um, <laughs> and and this is the kind of movie where you just have to be all in. So yeah. I don't, don't straddle the fence. Go see it. Um love it or maybe not love it but you this is a must-see movie Mm -hmm. and as ryan uh, said it and if you have said it has layers Mm -hmm. it is a thoughtful movie so you can enjoy it just for the pure entertainment value it does the things that a superhero movie has to do great action great special effects but at the same time, that story underneath it and mm-hmm. the, just the narrative loop of mm-hmm. ending where it began is so, so provocative and, and very good. And I, I just wanted to say it's rooted very much in um, the African-American culture and diaspora. And I think that is one something that's significant. Uh, to mark about this movie from start to finish. I'm looking at it also from the strategic communication, public relations point of view, and the decisions they made all along the way in terms of unveiling this movie, I think have been absolutely on point. Yeah, there's actually a really interesting article I think The Hollywood Reporter did about this, um, just talking about the marketing that went into this movie. They definitely took it in a direction they advertised to a market that was not the traditional superhero market and as we can see it's it's paid off for mm-hmm. them another thing that's kind of unusual in this film i would argue so there's two things that kind of jump out at you right off the bat the first is the uh, sort of the the identity casting in the film uh we have a film that is predominantly uh, a black cast um with a black writer a black director much of the cast and crew is black. Uh, and the only two people in the movie, the two white guys uh, were Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis, who are both in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. So they are of course the Tolkien white guys. Um, <laughs> not my joke, but I still love it. <laughs> right. Um, I know. I've seen that also in reviews and they did a marvelous job. Yeah, they were that. great. Like let's, let's not shortchange, <laughs> but they were playing in a lot of ways. The, the role that the minority characters would normally be expected right. to play in these movies. Right. It is one of the really interesting things about this movie is the way it's kind of flipped some traditional Hollywood tropes that 
way, right? You had a kind of a white bumbling character in, in uh, Ross, is that his last name? Ross, you know, um, who, uh, you know, who I think plays like the stereotype from a a lot of other action films. Mm -hmm. And so they flip the trope. You've got a villain who is white. um, And so they kind of flip that typical trope as well. And so I, in a, in a way that felt subversive and clever to me, along with a lot of other tropes that they kind of, they, they essentially flip or about privilege and a host of things. And there's even like the, the sort of like savage stereotype that gets kind of lampooned later in the movie too, to a really mm-hmm. funny effect. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dr. Gustaf and your thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love, of course, the use of these two characters, but another careful thing I think we have to note in the plotting that even though Andy Circus, Circus rather plays the uh, a villain, he is not the main villain. So right. this can never be construed as you know black versus white. And I think they were very very intentional mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that the story cannot be misrepresented beyond what the trolls are already trying to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the fake attacks, that kind of oh. stuff. Like it's, oh. it's like, come on, guys, just, just, just right. accept it. Yep. <laughs> right, right. But it's not, it's not in the narrative. No, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's very careful and very intentional. Well, I want to come back to that in a little bit, the idea of uh, how this movie approaches its narratives with specific regards to race and that sort of thing. Uh, we do have a much larger conversation coming up in a couple minutes about the villain and how the villain ties into this. But one of the other things that jumps out about me is the role of women in this film. This is without a doubt. And I mean, partially this is a, a, a credit to the film, but it's also just sort of a sorry indictment of the Marvel universe thus far <laughs> is that this is by far the film in which women play the largest role. Mm-hmm. Arguably you could say that in, in many ways, even though it's a black Panther movie and he's the lead character, this is very much a film about the women in his family the women in his life, uh, the women in his service. Um, it is very much a matriarchal film, I think, in a lot of ways, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, let's let's talk about the women in the movie. And I think you have to start with a, who a lot of people are seeing as the breakout character, Shuri, um, the uh, the cue to Black, uh, to Black Panther's James Bond, but also his little sister. And easily, I, I would say probably the source of most of the funny jokes in the movie. She's mm-hmm. uh, she's a riot and also being held up as uh, sort of a nice mo- role model for young girls looking to get into like science and engineering and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And all of that is so true. Um, I think, as you said, the character of Shuri is absolutely breakout and you did not expect it. Mm-hmm. But I think that that is a compliment to Letitia Wright, the actress who inhabits that role. And uh, so she brought uh, that effervescence of a very young woman. She brings that brilliance. And that's what we haven't seen in movies, that she is absolutely brilliant. She's Mm -hmm. confident. She knows her stuff in science and technology. Um, and is unapologetic about it. Wow. Yeah. 
Uh, Ryan, your thoughts? I, I loved her. And that was, again, this is one of the ways that I liked the movies in ways I didn't expect, you know, because I didn't I didn't go into it knowing that I was going to love all of these different characters that we were introduced to. I thought this was going to be a cool movie about a cool superhero. And then and I would uh, this is I don't know. I, I would argue, actually, in some ways that Black Panther was not one of the more interesting characters in the movie. That's I think, a fair point. Yeah. I think a lot of the people around him um, were really fascinating. And she in particular was just so both as a character, but also as an actress, she was so engaging and mm-hmm. so funny and so brilliant and, and all of these different things that I found myself utterly thrilled to learn that she's going to be in the Avengers movie. Yes. Even if it's for a small part, I just, I love the fact that I don't have to wait till the next black Panther movie to see her again. That's well, let me also uh, point out that if you're a fan of Shuri, she also does play into a comic series that Marvel is releasing. That's meant to be sort of the bridge between the movies we've seen so far and the upcoming infinity war, hmm. um, where they talk about her role in the story and kind of like explain like not only where she, but all the other characters are. And so, so if you stick around to the end of the film, you notice that Bucky, Captain America's right. friend, is in Wakanda. They are essentially have deprogrammed him and he is now living a relatively peaceful life. And he's trying to learn more about the world and his place in it. Um, and there's actually a panel in that comic where T'Challa goes to visit her and she's talking about how all the stuff that, you know, hey, we learned all this great stuff from, uh, you know, by deprogramming the Hydra mind control. We can advance our own artificial intelligence. And we're doing all this stuff that not even Tony Stark could figure out. But of course, I am smarter than him. So. Um, so like, well, if you see, like that, yeah, if you like that spirit, you like that fire, right. they, they definitely brought that into that comic too. Well, that's the pairing that would be very interesting. Yes. Of course, you know, we get from the previous, uh, Iron Man films that Tony Stark is, uh, maybe looking to mentor someone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. What if mm-hmm. there was a storyline that had Shuri and Tony Stark, um, somehow matching their technological passions in some way. It'd be fantastic. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even one scene, I think, would be great. You know. Uh, yes. Go ahead. I was going to say the the Bucky thing was really interesting to me because I was envisioning. So there was a very safe way that that Disney and Marvel could have made this movie, and it would have followed the 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 picture that they've used, the format they've used for others, where it's like we introduce a character and then we give them kind of a buddy from the Marvel universe who plays along. Right. And they were set up Mm -hmm. for that with Bucky Mm -hmm. being there. And I love that they took the bold move of essentially making this Marvel adjacent in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. It exists in the universe. You bring in Ross to kind of tie it to things, but Mm -hmm. that's what made this movie so bold mm-hmm. for a group that has I think erred on the side of safety a lot of times and and that's and it paid off so well for me that this this was an, a billion times better movie than I think I thought it was going to be right. because they didn't go the safe route and that's kind of the, the 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 blessing and the curse of these films is that you know you get the nice benefit yeah. of everything being connected and telling a cohesive story but it can sometimes weigh down mm-hmm. the other stories that are associated with it so the, and, and Wakanda being kind of by definition set off from the rest of the world we know, it made sense for the film to also be in that position. Right. But can I just say that there, that, that makes so is just complicated by a, a fear that Mm -hmm. some viewers can certainly take away from it because of its resonance with the 
quote unquote real world. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, this big decision about do we can uh, that the king is is facing uh, and and has faced up to to continue to hide Wakanda or, or reach out um, and expose what had been a pretty uh, safe and idyllic utopian. And now all the troubles mm-hmm. that we can even imagine are going to hit it. And Bucky represents that. Yes, he does. I mean, he, he's benign, but we've mm-hmm. seen him in another role, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. And well, and even that, like he's doing so at maybe the worst possible time, because if you're following the story, you know what's coming in about three months. Like yeah. all hell is going to break loose and it's going to start in part in Wakanda. So it's, it's kind of weird that at the same time he's doing this really noble thing. It is going to come back to them in some way. Yes. Um, and, and like, but I find that interesting from like, uh, you know, I, I was thinking like after I watched this movie, I would love if they want to do another TV show. I would either A, love a show just set in Wakanda or B, a show uh, that talks about just like what it means to like be part of the State Department or part of the UN in the Marvel Universe where you're trying to handle all of these different sovereign nations that have like people with superpowers leading them and trying to like interfere in the actions of other countries. Wow. Um, how, do you, how do you even begin to handle that? Like, I think there's a really interesting series there. Um, but yeah, yeah. like. I was listening to pop culture happy hours coverage of this and Gene Denby of Code Switch said, mm-hmm. you know, well, part of what he wanted from this movie was a documentary on Wakanda. Right. That, like, and so he, he was, <clears throat> and he was a little disappointed in the film, but part of it is that he wants to know more about why, what makes Wakanda tick, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that is really interesting that I, I suppose you could argue that's something that was missing. It, 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 I didn't need it, but I think that, that knowing more about that country does mm-hmm. sound really fascinating. Let me uh, come back and, to the. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was agreeing that at some point I didn't feel it uh, that lost to the extent that uh, Denby expressed it, but it's anticipation more that the story will come out. Mm-hmm. Just the possibility, just the visual presentation of oh. the possibility of such mm-hmm. a place yeah. is so thrilling to its mm-hmm. audiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do want to take a moment to just talk about how visually how stunning this movie was mm-hmm. across the board. I mean, the the way everything from the the um, costume design to the cinematography. I mean, it is a beautiful, beautiful movie from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, very thoughtful. It's jaw dropping. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is honestly how yeah. I would describe it at times. Um, I just yeah. kind of watch it. I'm like, I can't believe that we're seeing this kind of visuals in, you know, uh, and on, like, I'm a, I'm about as big a fan of uh, the Marvel universe as anybody. I think if you, if you, you guys know me well enough at this point, um, like I am completely, I completely bought and sold into all of this. Um, but like, it's, it's a universe that's often very kind of safe in terms of its visuals. And I, I think we're starting to see that trend reverse um, due largely to things happening behind the scenes. Um, mm. But this was a, probably the boldest movie yet where they've just really aggressively gone after a certain visual style and nailed it. Um, and, and a lot of that I do think does have to go to Ryan Coogler, but also to the, the set design and the, uh, the costume uh, designers who really tried to make this a world that felt like it existed before this movie and it will exist after it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, the, I've heard a lot of the discussion of like when uh, they, the, the ship comes into Wakanda and the barrier pulls back, it's almost like the first time you saw Star Wars, right? It's like this whole <laughs> new world that's like, it's, it's, it yeah. feels lived in. It feels like it's a place that exists. It's familiar, but also not at the same time. And like everything feels like there's a story there. Every piece of technology, every person you see, 
all the cities, everything in Wakanda feels like there are just thousands of years of story because there are. Um, and right. it just, it's a place that exists and it feels real in a way that, you know, they have these places, they have a lot of these movies taking place in actual cities that don't feel this real. So like, it was really, I think, uh, a credit to the design, uh, of, uh, the design team on this movie that they did that. That's um, true. And, and can I just say one more yes, thing please. about the visuals? There are a couple of, um, videos that Ryan Coogler, the director has made uh, in conjunction with Vanity Fair, which I thought was an interesting crossover. But he explains um, how he did a couple of the key scenes, one of which is the casino, mm-hmm. the the fight that breaks out there, and the other is a car chase. And it's one and, continuous shot, right? I think that's what he talks about, how like he doesn't really break the camera away very often in that shot, which is, again, very unusual for a movie like this. Very unusual. But I did not realize until I saw that video, for instance, in the casino, that the three main characters from Wakanda are dressed intentionally in the colors of the African-American liberation colors. Oh, Red, black, and green. Isn't that interesting? Now that you mention it, yeah, I had no idea. I did not catch that when I watched it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, so like, just, just goes to how thoughtful they were about, right. you know, the colors and the symbols and everything mm-hmm. in the scenes. Yeah. Um, and, and it really is. And like, again, a lot of this is so keyed to the black experience. I feel that uh, as, as a white guy, I almost feel like I'm kind of like not qualified to talk about some of the decisions they made. Um, but uh, it's, I, I well, feel that's why Ryan has to do it for all of us. Because <laughs> you, we didn't get it sitting ourselves, sitting yeah. in an audience. So. Um, but yeah, it's it's really something. Uh, I do also want to mention again, like I want to kind of come back around to the women in the film. Um, one of them I want to talk about in context with the villain. So we'll save her for a moment. But I have to talk about the Dora Milaje. And I, I know yes. I'm not pronouncing that right. But um, I, I like I said Actually, it like 14 times. You pronounce it. Yeah. Okay, so I got it more or less right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Um, of course, the main one's Okoye, um, uh, who's, uh, I forget the name of the actress. Ryan, you know um, who plays her. I don't remember her yeah, name. She's, she's, she's from The Walking she's Dead. She's from The Walking Dead, uh, so I know her from the Danae uh, Guerrero. Ah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. first off, anyway. she's incredible. Um, yep. This mm-hmm. as, as like, she is like, I wrote in the notes that I want to be her when I grow up. And I stand <laughs> by that because she gets some of the best action scenes in the movie. And I think has one of the most interesting arcs because she is really representative of the traditionalist aspects of the country and the culture. Yes. And she has to come to terms with that and what her responsibility is because she basically turns her back in a lot of ways on T'Challa, on the family, because her responsibility is to the king, regardless who's sitting there. Um, And I thought that was, and and you see the kind of like pain that causes her uh, and and she expresses it without a lot of words, honestly. Um, It's, it's really something she's, she's fantastic. I kind of want her to be like, (laughs) I I would watch a movie just like her and Shuri just going around doing stuff at this point. (laughs) Oh, she was fantastic and inhibited that space of a general. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that so interesting to see a military commander who was female Mm -hmm. and who, in contrast to the Wonder Woman movie, did not have to die or sacrifice herself, right, for the greater good. She Mm -hmm. lives to fight again. I love that. Yeah. In fact, um, what's interesting is that we only – so. 
uh, we only see one Dora Milaje actually die. Um, and it's, it's heartbreaking just the same way I would argue. It's interesting you brought up the Wonder Woman thing because I feel like there's a similarity there where it's like, um, you know, it's, it's a tragedy when the Germans land on the beach and killed the Amazons. Um, and I feel like it, I felt all of that at once in that one scene when Killmonger kills the one Dora Milaje. I'm like, this is not fair. This is not right. Yeah. Um, because these women are so much cooler than you. Um, and so much, they're being destroyed essentially in the, in the process of war. There's something interesting to that, um, which I'll, again, I want to get back to when we get to him. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, that's the easiest parallel is to draw them between them and the Amazons. And I think that they're both great in their own ways. Um, but the Dormilaji, I mean, like that, like that everything about the design and how that came together and how important those characters are, what role they fulfill is so, I, I think it's part of what makes this movie special. Yeah, for me, I can always, I always can tell when a, when a performance is really, really strong as if there's someone who, that I forget that, uh, who they actually are in real life. And, uh, that this was absolutely a case of that where I, I watched the walking dead, you know, I'm very familiar with that character and that actress and it, it just kept escaping me who this person was. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's, it's a testament to the, the performance. Yeah. Um, I want to, I'm going to jump ahead and talk about our, our villain of the piece and, it's been fascinating to watch the discussion about whether or not Eric Killmonger actually is a villain. Um, <laughs> yes, the the right. discourse I've seen a lot of Killmonger was right, um, right. which as a, as a Marvel nerd, Magneto <laughs> was right. is also a thing that's been thrown around a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and you can kind of, we could draw the parallels between professor X and Magneto and, and uh, T'Challa and Eric. And I don't, but I don't think that's terribly interesting because I think what they're doing is a lot more, specific and uh you know it's, it's not a more because I, I feel like the the x-men metaphor is very generalized this is much more specific and speaks to a very specific experience mm-hmm. um and uh what's interesting so we have a character here who was born and raised in oakland uh california uh in a very rough neighborhood uh you know and and we, this is emphasized at certain points throughout the film his father is killed by chaka who is t'challa's dad um, essentially, uh, it's important to note that like the people are getting confused and saying that he killed him because he betrayed Wakanda. He, he actually killed him to save uh, um, his brother's life. Or I, I, I forget uh, his advisor, right? His advisor, yeah. So he took his brother's life to save somebody else's, and that I think is important. Um, it doesn't let him off the hook, but it's not just simply he's killing him because he stepped outside of the box, right? Um, but uh, so he watches his dad die. And so he grew up learning about Wakanda, this place where it's amazing. It's like this utopia that's so different from his own experience. And then it comes and kills his family and destroys his family. And so his, he basically everything he does from that point on is this sort of purpose of revenge. Like, why weren't you there to help me? Why weren't you there to help people like me? Um, but also, why did you take this from me? And this to me has been fascinating. There's been a lot of interesting articles talking about like, uh, there's one uh, essentially making the argument that I love Wakanda, but I can't, or like, I want to love Wakanda, but I can't because of this. Um, That, you know, there's people saying that like, this is kind of like a devaluation of black manhood and that kind of stuff. Um, But the thing I find interesting is, yeah, it's like I said, there's in the time we have to talk about this, we we could spend (laughs) the entire show just on Killmonger. Um, But uh it's it's fascinating because I feel that the the best article or the best argument I've seen is that it's a mistake to look at this as a good versus evil story. Yes, and I think okay. that's maybe where we can start. So um, I don't know uh, if uh, <laughs> who wants to jump in on this. I know you both have some interesting thoughts on this. Um, Go ahead, Ryan. Go well, ahead. I, yeah, I started. 
I, I fully agree with that argument. And actually, that's one, what I love about the movie is that this is a nuanced look at uh, at these characters and that I'm actually a little tired of living in a world where we have good guys and bad guys, mm-hmm. period. And um, and I think that's part of what makes uh, some movies more interesting is that we've, we've strayed away from that, the melodrama into like real life people um, because I think you know and I, I know we want to talk about the villain but I could actually say something similar for the hero that I don't know that we're I mean it's it's unusual for me to watch a movie and get behind a king right mm-hmm. and get behind a monarchy that's not not something I'm really supportive of <laughs> to um, be fair Wakanda is a weird monarchy okay. it's, it's apparently a democracy ruled by a king I don't know how that works but anyway go ahead so, but so I think that there's a, this is a really interesting nuanced character in the sense that I completely understand to the best I should say to the best that I can I understand where he's coming from and I agree with his arguments and I agree with um, his criticisms of Wakanda his criticisms of the world I agree with all of that and so my objection to him is not where he's coming from it, it, it it's an objection to it, well it you know th- to the means essentially that mm-hmm. to to his solution and even that is a fairly nuanced objection you know right. th- that i think that he is a much more intriguing person i think it is a mistake to think of of him as purely bad mm-hmm. yeah absolutely now we uh started by recognizing of course that this is part of the marvel universe and that it's a superhero film and it has to do certain basic things is is what i would assert given Mm -hmm. those parameters so it has to be battle action and someone we can uh, identify as the good guy and someone who necessarily has to be the foil Mm -hmm. having said that um this is again nuanced and, and and complex and killamonger is going to be a character that many are going to celebrate uh because of the things he says out loud that right. others are thinking at the mm-hmm. same time um and and the director speaks about this too He's not heroic completely. He, I mean, he's the guy who um, discarded his love interest, (laughs) you know, without blinking an eye. And this is a contrast to the kind of loyalties and the communal support that we see the king Mm -hmm. experience with the women in his orbit. Uh, Now, we can argue about all the reasons for why Killmonger ends up basically a social sociopath Mm -hmm. i mean there there are some personal choices he makes and then when he's finally at wakanda he does some destructive things even in the context of being the monarch and the king and so you know he he's he is villainous with some heroic aspirations uh, but the tragedy, uh, sort of like a Hamlet, really, mm-hmm. I think that might be a good parallel. Um, young man who has some noble aspirations, but mm-hmm. um, there's a little madness there. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of parallels. Like this is a very, uh, uh, Charles Pulliam Moore over IO nine called it Marvel's first Shakespearean epic. And I don't think that's wrong. Yeah, um, it's right. very, <laughs> what's funny is I saw a lot of people saying, does anybody else think there's a lot of parallels between this and the lion King? It's like, that's because they're both borrowing from Hamlet. Come on guys. Like you, you, you had to have taken high school English. Come on. Like, <laughs> that's funny. Um, that's true. I want to share with you some tweets uh, that I read, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. Um, these are coming from Imani Gandhi, uh, who's at Angry Black Lady on Twitter. Um, she wrote this, and this has been uh, liked and retweeted like crazy. Um, but I think this is one of the most interesting takes I've seen because it, it kind of jives with something that I was thinking about. As because this is a movie you have to sit with for a while. It's not like a superhero movie normally is where you see it and it's viscerally exciting and you kind of forget about it. Like this one, you kind of gnaws at you for a bit, right. and. She wrote this, in terms of ideology, and so I want to save Nakia, um, the little Peter Nyong'o character for now. In terms of ideology, Nakia and Killmonger have the same philosophy, but Nakia's vision wasn't powered by toxic masculinity. That's the conclusion I've come to. Killmonger's mistreatment of black women was an indelible part of his character. It's another reason he wasn't quote-unquote right. Uh, the same philosophy is overstating it since Nakia's vision wasn't powered by vengeance or a thirst for world domination and also wasn't backed by military and CIA training. High imperialism, she says. Um, as someone pointed out, Ross actually says in the film that Killmonger's, quote, doing what we trained him to do. And I think this is a really important point because Nakia in the film has as one of her key motivating factors. She wants to go out and do service. She wants to do good and uplift um, the uh, the black community around the world. Right. This is, of course, a very noble goal. And, you know, T'Challa is very nervous about letting her do that because it does go against tradition. Part of, of course, the arc is him learning to basically say the health tradition and kind of do his own thing. Um, but the idea that the whole notion of toxic masculinity and colonialist imperialist tendencies shaping Killmonger is intriguing to me because you could argue that uh, there's two ways to argue. Number one is that this has corrupted him in a meaningful way or twisted his vision of what liberation looks like. Hmm. Or two, you could, uh, other people argue that he's essentially using the tools of the oppressors against them, which I think is a more charitable read than I'm willing to give this particular character. Um, <laughs> but is also, I think, a legitimate read of that mm -hmm. character. So I don't know what you guys think about this because the idea, um, I think she goes on to say that um, Nakia basically radicalized her love while, to ch uh, um, while Killmonger radicalized his anger and his hate. <laughs> um, this to me, I think, is a really key aspect of understanding this character because he's not easy to understand. You have to try to look at him from a bunch of different perspectives and it helps you mm -hmm. do some of the reading first. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm not talking about the comics either. Like I'm talking about like the, the philosophy and thought that goes into it. Right, right. I, I remember reading her tweets as well. And I know there's a great sensibility about that. I think the um, psychic part of the psychic and emotional core of this story is that Killmonger represents the, of course, the diaspora, the Africans mm -hmm. from uh, in America and other places, displaced from home, yearning, hurting, um, and in some ways not feeling whole. And then you have the Wakanda, the idealized mm -hmm. vision. What might Africa have been mm -hmm. had it not been so completely overwhelmed by a European Anglo-colonial experience. There's, mm -hmm. um, so there's that pain there, which Killmonger is 
absolutely embodying. And that's why, uh, you know, Michael's performance there is, is just, wow, mm-hmm. profound and strong. Phenomenal performance. Yeah. Uh, just, just, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, he's amazing mm-hmm. in, in this movie. He's also uh, amazing in other movies. So he, but this, that, that performance is just bananas. How good it is. Yeah. Um, and, and as just a side, quick side nerd note, he is the second actor to play human torch in a bad, fantastic four movie that turns around <laughs> and becomes like an amazing actor in the Marvel cinematic yes. universe. So he and Chris yeah. Evans are in rarefied air right now. That's but anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I find that care. I mean, like, again, like I think what the movie's doing is it's challenging you. Um, and I, this is not an original idea. This has shown up in some of the think pieces on it. It's challenging you to really engage with mm-hmm. the totality of, and, and some of the interesting, like the most interesting critiques uh, are coming from uh, kind of the progressive black community and saying that it's not so much about trying to find sides or pick sides. It's about engaging with the sum totality of our yeah. identity, of our experience and of our kind of like pain and hatred yes. and anger, but hope at the same time, um, they're both manifested in those characters. And I think it's important to note that at the end, T'Challa ends up learning from Killmonger. Mm-hmm. And we've never seen that in, in one of these movies before, that ultimately he is a motivating factor in his speech to the UN yeah. and all that. Well, and I think in a lot of ways, and I say this as a, a white man watching the movie, that so much of this movie uh, spoke to to me about privilege and and what that means and 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 again this is a case where they kind of flip some some tropes uh around but it is a really um you know we we have a we have this this character who is coming from a place of privilege because Mm -hmm. of where he was born and because of who he the family he was born in and Mm -hmm. and all of this and and that part and he who is able to stay safe because of that and and now having to deal with the fact that that privilege comes at a cost mm-hmm. and a cost to others and and about needing. And so as a white man, part of my read on this is thinking about ways in which we need to take, uh, we need to essentially shrug off that privilege for the, for the greater good and mm-hmm. be thinking about that. And, and I think, I mean, that is not something I expected to come out no. of this movie feeling or experiencing, um, but, a, but a very real um, and, and powerful feeling for me as I laughed. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ryan, and I'm so glad you said that because I think in the character of Martin Freeman, that's exactly part, I mean, take away the fact that he is the CIA, but yeah. in that Which moment, a lot of people have had a problem with. I know, but yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but <laughs> in that movie and in those moments, it was so fascinating to see him take it's more than uh, you know we talked about that the white guys inhabiting kind of the token roles but I think there was something more mm-hmm. to his presence and performance and it gets at exactly Ryan what you were talking about mm-hmm. how can I now help in the face of um, you know what has gone wrong in the right. past we're starting a new page here there's a different story now mm-hmm. that can be told and it's really telling that um, I, I love this because I was, you know, I, as a Marvel nerd, I'm always waiting for those credit scenes. I want to see how they set up what's coming next, right? Yeah. And I love that the first credit scene in this movie was not like a big action scene. It wasn't a big tease. It was him essentially going in front of the United Nations and opening up Wakanda to the world. And in a lot of ways, I mean, like, again, thematically, it mirrors Tony Stark's coming out as Iron right. Man that happened 10 years ago now, since mm-hmm. we're now in the 10th year of this. Um, 
it's so that's interesting but also it like it's 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 a, it's a mission statement the whole uh-huh. thing like it's an old like uh, they use the old nigerian proverb of you know of, in the times of crisis a wise man builds bridges while a fool builds walls mm-hmm. and a lot of people said that's that's a political statement right that's referring to things that are going on now and the answer is well not so much but it's hard not to read it that right. way right mm. like i i don't i doubt that that was not in the back of their mind as they right. were putting the scene together um so a lot of this yeah. film is about that legacy and about mm-hmm. what Wakanda and Black Panther owns, oh. owes to the world. And that's and, interesting. And there's a really, I mean, the, the, what happens right after he opens Wakanda up to the world is an immediate discounting mm-hmm. of their expertise and what they right. have to offer. You guys right. are harpers. What can you do? It's like, <laughs> right. oh boy. Oh, son, you don't know. And, and we haven't <laughs> talked much about um, Chadwick is it Bozeman is that Chadwick Bozeman yeah. we haven't talked uh-huh. about much about his performance I, I should say that part of the reason I was so excited about this movie is I have loved him in everything he's done from yeah. 42 to to draft day um, you know and I just think he's incredible but um, the smirk he gives at that mm-hmm. moment is priceless it is uh, <laughs> he's 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 a master at playing that character with a sort of regal um, kind of like upbringing to him but mm-hmm. there's just yeah. enough like playfulness and growth and a lot of it builds off. And this is why I think a lot of the criticisms, you almost have to kind of watch the other movies in the series to get. Some, I think if you do that, you get a greater appreciation for what the film really thinks about organizations like or about the CIA, what the Marvel Universe thinks about institutions of power. But also for his personal arc, everything in here is building off of what he did in Civil War, letting go of pain, mm-hmm. anger, revenge okay. in favor of something more progressive, constructive, and hopeful for the future. This is the culmination of that story. Um, yeah, and yet it, it's sort of a coming of age. You know, what? Mm-hmm. when he discovers what he does about his father and, and the ancestors before and is able to express his anger and, and evolve to his uh, way of thinking about the future. It, mm-hmm. it really is coming of age. He's coming mm-hmm. into his own, but you know that it, um, it's tempered with a kind of grappling with reality. Mm-hmm. So I think even as he goes forward with this new vision of what Wakanda can do, mm-hmm. he has, he's going to go forward with a kind of um, measured, maybe skepticism, or or he's going to be on guard in a way that Nokia is not. Right. And I think her her idealism comes from a good place, but it has to be tempered mm-hmm. by something else. And I think he will bring the something else. Um, I do want to, because I know Ryan, you got to take off here. You got a big speech yeah. coming up. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to get your thoughts on this. This wasn't on the notes, but so I, I apologize for kind of feels like I'm springing on you. But both of you, um, we talk a lot about legacy and what the film has to say about this. Both of you um, have young black sons um, and both of you, I, I don't know if you, have you taken your kids to see it yet, Ryan? We have not. Okay. Yep. Um, what I, uh, if you look at the discussion and the excitement around a lot of this movie, it, a lot of it is aimed at the, the kids who are going to see it and seeing a hero who looks like them yes. and, and seeing issues represented like as parents um, who are in a unique position to talk about this. And Ryan, I'll let you take first crack at this because now you got to go. Yeah. What are your thoughts and like, what do you think this film might do for your kids? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So we are just kids in general. We deliberated on this for whether or not we should take them for a while. And, and we ultimately, the only reason we didn't is because at first is because we were seeing something. <laughs> we were seeing it after their bedtime. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids are relatively young still. And I think we've decided to hold off at this point only because so much of it 
feels like it'd be over their heads at this point. Right. That said, um, I am unbelievably excited to introduce them to this movie when, when I think they're ready. And, and part of it is, I mean, most of it is representations. Most of this, you know, they, I want them, I want them to see this the same way I want them to see, you know, African-American dancers, the same way I want them to see African-American scientists. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain this was intentional, but, you know, it's interesting that this movie opened during black history month and we've we've been doing, um, you know, flashcards every morning Mm -hmm. for black history month, you know, and so they're seeing, you know, they're learning about scientists and they're learning about authors and all sorts of things right now. And, you know, those are things that I just, I need them to see because I need them to understand that the, that the world is open to them. And, and so it's very important to me in that sense. Oh, that's beautifully said. And I totally agree. I have a two generation family, a grown son, and then a, a 10 year old that we're adopting. And I hesitated really about the, the 10 year old, but he did well. He, he loved it. And, uh, you know, he's already seen Star Wars. So, <laughs> this wasn't any any worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, and this kind of thing is like content wise. I mean, it's it's not a super violent movie, um, but certainly I could see as a parent, um, it, it might be something kind of uh, challenging to to deal with. But but just the content and the and, and the things discussed in the film too, I think, um, are, are challenging. And so I'm just like, uh, one of the things that's interesting is like the uh, um, sort of cottage industry that sort of sprung up around Black Panther. You had, mm. of course, the uh, um, showings and screenings that were being uh, rented out and uh, the efforts to raise money for uh, kids to go see it because of the importance of the representation. But also you have like uh, the Black Panther Challenge website um, that has a bunch of links and resources. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, But uh, it's the idea is they want to have like a way to further the conversation and engage with, uh, you know, kids and adults about the ideas raised in the movie. Um, so they have like articles on Afrofuturism. They have articles on um, diaspora and that kind of stuff too. Right. Um, and I've seen lesson plans and other mm-hmm. educational supplements. So uh, again, it's been a very, very good outreach. Yep. Uh, and, and again, like, you know, from a, and I think, you know, from a moral standpoint, it's pretty obvious to see this, but also from a marketing standpoint, it's fascinating to see a company that is traditionally resistant to even acknowledging that social problems exist, um, like, <laughs> uh, taking this aggressive of a step and really endorsing and embracing that read of the film. I mean, yeah, it helps their bottom line, but um, you know, it, it also does spark a conversation and spark uh, engagement and excitement. I think you even had like uh, people going out and reg- having like uh, voter registration booths outside of the theater. So people who were excited about Wakanda and ready to change the world could sign up to vote. And I think like, that's, I don't know. I feel like you've never seen this with a superhero movie before. And this, it, it feels like it's something different and something really important. And I don't think it's overselling it to say that. Well, how much of this do you think is a result of the uh, Disney Marvel a relationship now that didn't exist five, 10 years ago. Um, so what's interesting about this is uh, without getting too much into like kind of the real like inner workings of Marvel, um, there, there was sort of an institutional resistance to telling these kind of stories, I think for the longest time and the, uh, you know, having women, people of color in the movies, uh, it was pretty 
hard, it was a pretty hard sell for some of the higher ups in Marvel. Um, and so there was like kind of a power struggle behind the scenes. Uh, Kevin Feig or Feig, I'm actually not sure how you say his name, but he's the guy who's basically in charge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's like the head producer. He's the head creative guy. Yes. And he basically got control away from the president of Marvel to basically make the movies the way he wants to make them. And I would argue that when you see him taking over, um, that's when the movies really start to become more interesting, more varied, more diverse in a lot of ways. Um, there's a noticeable difference between the movies that have come out in the last few years versus the ones that came out originally. So, but at the same time, Black Panther was greenlit under the original, like the old administration too. So it's not completely, yes. um, but I don't think you would have seen it like this under the old way of doing things. That's what I'm getting at. I mean, the idea would have been, it was certainly greenlit. But the mm -hmm. execution, mm -hmm. there is something uh, bold uh, yeah. all the way down. I mean, we're mm -hmm. talking about the actors and the director, but they had to have had um, either, uh, you know, strong corporate support and or the blessing to go ahead and tell the story the way they need they needed to tell it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the response shows that they were just on point with mm -hmm. a lot of the decisions that were made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and any less, you know, the audiences would have known. <laughs> yeah. And this was, I think that's the big thing is it felt authentic in a way that yeah. a lot of times uh, advertising and marketing attempts like this don't. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of that, you know, had, you, you had the cultural buy-in, not just from the audience, but also from other creatives, right? You had Donald Glover working on the script a little bit. He didn't do a huge part of it, but he did punch up some of the jokes. And, uh, you had Kendrick Lamar contributing to the soundtrack and then, uh, apparently just going ahead and releasing his second album in two years, um, just based on the movie. Timmy, what you gonna do, Timmy? Confrontation ain't nothing new, Timmy. And so they, like, they create an entire original album of songs in, uh, either that are in the movie or just inspired by it with a bunch of different artists. And this was woven into the marketing. It was woven into the trailers, like the music, the style, all of it. This was aggressively like and to, it's fascinating that what I, what I found interesting about this is that it doesn't it, it feels like this is the first time we've really seen um the black identity and black culture used to really kind of market this as something that's not specifically for that culture, but mm -hmm. for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very, in a very inclusive way. Um, Cause like, I've certainly seen like, uh, like it seems everybody's excited about this movie. Like it's not just, uh, you know, um, African-American uh, fans who are excited. Mm -hmm. It's everybody. And I think that really speaks mm -hmm. to the approach they took and the sort of uh, in a lot of ways, very humanist approach um, mm -hmm. to Black Panther they took. Oh, absolutely. And I also, in an interview I saw with Chadwick Boseman, he said something that uh, literary people have said for years, that if you want to construct a universal story, you do it by paying attention to the specifics. So, right. uh, you know, and basically saying this was, you know, of course, specifically grounded in some particular cultural ways, but the story was so universal. Mm -hmm. people are relating to it yeah because everywhere there are core things that speak specifically to one experience but i think there's also a lot of universal themes and ideas in there and i think that's really important and what it got me excited about is i'm hoping that 
uh, as we kind of wind down the first uh, kind of major half or the first major kind of component of the Marvel Studios experiment, because um, supposedly uh, the Infinity War movies are going to be the culmination and the end of the Avengers storyline. They're going to start spinning off and doing different things after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping what we get is we do start to see more heroes that are both international but intercultural uh, in nature. Um, like I, I'm hoping that we see Miss Marvel. I'm hoping that we see all these other heroes and heroines that come from different backgrounds and different experiences and can speak to those backgrounds and experiences in a way, um, that they couldn't otherwise, that they can give, um, filmmakers of color, filmmakers who, uh, you know, English might not be their first language, the chance to tell and direct stories that speak to them within this larger framework. And really, and this to me is, uh, what I find fascinating is that, they have like all of the stuff they're doing. The universe was built for this. Like the, the way they set these movies up, it was built to do this kind of stuff. And now they have the kind of brand freedom and cachet to experiment and take chances. And we're finally starting to see that pay off. It's taken way too long, but it's nice to finally see it. happen. <laughs> yeah. But it's nice that they had the thoughtful approach to right. do it. Also. Instead of trying to cram it all into like three years, which is mm-hmm. what the other guys are doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. We won't mention them, but <laughs> yeah. We know. Yeah. Any other last thoughts on this? Like I said, we could talk about this forever. Um, but uh, it's, it's just because it's a movie that, again, it sticks with you and you kind of want to talk about it and think about it forever. Um, but uh, any, any last thoughts or last ideas that you wanted to share? Oh, I just, again, we, we've said so many things and covered so much ground. And you know what? We'll think about the movie some more and say, mm-hmm. oh, we could have talked about this. We could have talked about that. I just encourage everybody to go see it mm-hmm. um, at least once. And this is going to be one of those movies that uh, we will come back and mm-hmm. talk about not only because of um, innovations and changes and we'll point to that moment in time when Black mm-hmm. Panther changed the zeitgeist in some way. And it'll take us yep. some time to understand that impact. But yeah, it's fun. I'm just forward to yeah, I'm, and I'm just looking forward to the kids who saw this. I'm looking forward to seeing the movie they're going to make in 20 years. I'm looking forward to seeing the work that they're inspired to do now. I'm, I'm hoping that this will be um, this like inciting moment or this like spark that's going to fuel a lot of really great things in the future. Even if it's just in some small way, I think uh, if, the, if that could be the movie's legacy, I'm hoping uh, I'm excited for what's coming next. Sounds good. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Yeah, it's been wonderful having here. And uh, so uh, thank you for being on here. Uh, uh, Ryan had to duck out. He's got a a speech he had to give, but um, I want to thank him for being on the show as well. Uh, It's been great, great conversation. And uh, we'll see you next time on Serious Fun. Production, the podcast network for University of Wisconsin Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgv.edu forward slash podcasts.